as you're having your seat. Can we just thank the band for leading us in worship today? Yeah. When I sit around and do Jared's vocal coaching throughout the week, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult process. We are getting there. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are in the very last of our series, Straight Out of Context. However, Jared and I are already having a conversation for Straight Out of Context Volume 2, Stories Gone Astray. Um, well, we're going to look at the really bad way we've been taught Bible stories. And uh, that's coming to a theater near you. Uh, what I've realized is, over these last few weeks, that there are various ways that we misuse the Bible. There are the times that we just look at a text and we misinterpret that. And then there are other times where we look at a passage and we misapply it. Uh, today, we look at a passage where we just miss it. Because we're looking at a phrase that most people think is in the Bible that's actually not in the Bible. Uh, my dad used to love to talk Bible phrases with me, especially when he found out that I was going to be a quasi-pastor. And he would share some of his very, uh, almost... These Bible phrases-ish, and when he would use them, I would always look at him very puzzled, not because I myself am a Bible scholar, but because I was very confused. Uh, some of those were when my dad, when we were children and we were in a Southern Baptist church. If you don't know what that means, that means that you vote on everything. And... There was a situation where my brother wanted to play the part of the little dude in the crib at Christmas. Two problems with that. One, he was seven. Uh, the, the, the second, the only crib he would fit in is on MTV. The other problem with that was that um, we had had a plastic doll play the part of Jesus for around 47 years. Uh, and uh, there was no way that thing was coming out of the crib without an act of Congress. Uh, my mother was frustrated, and when she came home to my father, she said to him, you need to talk to your son about how he refers to our Lord, to which my dad replied, baby, because he called us baby till his dying day, uh, baby, uh, you don't need to talk about the good man upstairs that way. And my mother was no longer frustrated with my younger brother, but she was seriously furious with my father. Uh, another place, we were uh, having a conversation about the Bible, and my dad looked at me, again, uh, not a believer at this point in his life, and said, I have read most of the Bible, and I just need to know one thing. So I want you to hear everything that's implied there. I've read the majority of the Bible, but there's only one thing that I worry about and wonder about. How did Noah get all of those animals on that ark? There was a day where my brother was in a little bit of trouble. had been uh, with the law, if you will. And my dad called me with one of his American colloquialisms. And was sharing with me how as, as to how I should go and remove my brother from the trouble, which would cost me lots of money. 
And he said, baby, as he always called us baby, you know what the good book says. And whenever that phrase came out of his mouth, I knew this was about to get really awesome. He said, you know how the good book tells us to dig our brother out of the ditch. I said, I don't know where the Bible says that anywhere, Dad. I, I, I'm reminded when I hear these phrases that my dad had probably been in a church service where a pastor had opened up a book similar to this and had read a phrase and the way that he interpreted that was how he was, he was just processing aloud what he'd heard, maybe heard presented well, maybe heard presented incorrectly. But it reminds me almost of the number of times that we hear Bible phrases and we make them convenient to our scenario and don't consider why they are part of that situation. The the Bible was not written in a vacuum. It was not written simply so that we could open it and we could say, oh, I've got this problem in my life, so I need to find a passage so that I can read about how to deal with this problem. You have these stories of how God has interacted with his people from the very beginning and how God continued to reveal himself to them as he guided them, directed them, led them, showed them, would show them the way. We have situations where God continues his story through the manifestation of himself. God the Son, the incarnation. We see the continuing story of God as we read through the the letters where God is revealing himself through the written words of a man named Paul along with other men. However, these written words were actually to a church. And there are times that if we're not careful, we can pull a Bible verse out and just squint at it enough and see what we want to see. Reminds me of what took place in 2004 when a woman popped her toaster and out came this piece of toast. If you squint enough, you can see what looks like a face. She claims it is the face of the Virgin Mary. To me, it looks more like Marilyn Monroe. You see that? Like, I need to sell my own toast because she sold this for $28,000. Who's the sucker buying that bread? But if we squint at passages enough, we can, make, we can see what we want to see, hear what we want to hear. We can make them be what we would like for them to be. The problem is the Bible doesn't say what it never said. A popular passage that is mishandled comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. Actually, the verse is actually verse 13. And it reads like this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. 
this verse is the basis for two popular misused phrases, and we're going to zone in on one. The, the first that we will spend more time with later, possibly, if I see you guys writing the wrong things on social media, is that God helps those, and I'm coming after you every week, I'm looking at your social media. God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. But the one that we're looking at today is that God will never give you more than you can handle. It's a very Americanized way to look at this verse, that we would pick ourselves up by our bootstraps because God would never provide a situation that's too big for us to overcome in our Americanness, in our hardworkingness. That's not what the Bible actually says. This passage has a point, and that point's to talk about temptation. So we've got to dial it back and go back to verse 1 as we, we look at this text. What is happening? Well, remember, God's telling a story to the, through His people and the way He's revealed Himself to them. And He's talking about the nation of Israel and the nation of Israel and how they, at times, have abandoned Him, mistreated Him, not cared for Him. Yet, all the time, God has been faithful. Not leaving those who he, whom he loves, even though they don't always show love in response in the best way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first four verses, we see God acting among them. Now, if you're unfamiliar with uh, the story of the nation of Israel... Um, Paul uses them as a point of reference multiple times through the scriptures. And as he uses them as this point of reference, he is typically talking about how they were in captivity to a nation. That nation is called... You can fill this blank in with lots of things. But the one that we use the most when we look at the Old Testament is the nation of Egypt. They are captives to Egypt, bound by Egypt. They are slaves to Egypt. They are... Trapped by them. And Paul, as he looks at the nation of Israel, is pointing out how God has worked in their midst. Verse 1 For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. And they all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank, we'll get, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. The Bible is always taking us to Jesus. This very early situation for the nation of Israel is telling us a story. And that story is, yes, these people were enslaved to another nation and they needed to be released and freed from them. And the only way for this to happen would be for God to act. Because we are a people who are bound by sin, the bigger narrative of the Bible. And that the only way for us to be released and freed from sin is if God chooses to act, if God chooses to bless, if God chooses to intercept our situation. 
And we actually see in the passage how they are blessed. The Bible shows us this in, um, in verse, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. They're blessed by passage. God is going to allow them to pass from one place to the next. And in passing from one place to the next, He's going to allow them to pass in a supernatural way. They are going to experience something that you would want to experience if you were in that terrible of a situation. If you are unfamiliar, they come up to the Red Sea. And I don't know if you know how water works, but they need to get to the other side and there was no way for them to get there. But God used his servant Moses to part the water. And the Bible says they walk through on dry ground. And as they walked through on dry ground... They did not take steps into various depths of mud. The scriptures convey to us that it would be as if we were walking in the, in the driveway outside. They got to allow this entire nation to pass because they were backed to a place where they could not move, yet in front of them was what? A situation that they were completely unable in themselves to handle. They're going to walk through. And that walking through had nothing to do with sneakers on their feet. It had nothing to do with how good the fathers happened to be or how hard they worked. Their ability to pass from one side to the other came simply because God works supernaturally. In the same way that your salvation and my salvation, if salvation is something that you know, is not because you could remember enough Bible verses. It's not because you were clever enough to make people like you or you could trick teachers in what we call Sunday school. Your passage from death to life is not in your politeness, not in your friendliness. Your passage from death to life is that God has done something supernatural in you. You're blessed by passage. We also see this with the nation of Israel, that they were blessed by provision. We want to point out how they are provided for. A couple of things I want to show us that in verse, chapter 10, verse 1, we see how we're included into God's grand story. Because he's telling the story of the nation of Israel. And I don't know how many of us have any Jewish heritage, but I'm not assuming many here in South Texas, y'all. But the scriptures say that these are our fathers. We've been brought in. We have been made part of God's great story through the family that he's given us, through uniting us through Jesus we also see he has not only blessed us through passage, he's blessed us by provision. He's provided for us family. He's also provided these things for the nation of Israel. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. We understand a little bit as to the background. They needed manna from heaven. The Jewish word for that is the equivalent of we don't know what it is. What's that? It's the Bible's whatchamacallit, those candy bars. We've given you something. 
and all drank the same spiritual drink. But then Paul shows us, as God is caring for this people, that these are all foreshadowing of Jesus. This nation of Israel is about to wander for 40 years. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. They wandered hopelessly. All of us know that when you're hopeless, you've been given more than you can handle. They had nothing to eat. We don't get that in our current culture. This was not that they could not go to Chick-fil-A because it was Sunday. I really need to talk to them about that. I mean, all of you who are like, oh, it's so cool. Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays. I know where you're going after lunch, after church to a restaurant. You're not worried about those people's working. Move on. Uh, the provision that God gave the nation of Israel was not something where they had some and he gave them something to mix it with. There was none and he provided all. We can't handle that we have none. They're blessed by provision. And that passage is Christ. That provision is Christ. The whole of all that God is doing here is the person of Jesus. So think about this. They have had an incredible experience. Marvelous experience. They have walked on dry ground. They have had bread drop and birds that were prepared for them to eat provided for them. They have had to do nothing. They had so much they could not handle. And God has handled how much of it? All of it. Every single bit. Nevertheless, after these clowns had walked on dry ground and had caught birds and bread, with most of them, God was not pleased because they were overthrown in the wilderness. They grumbled and they complained and they... You have this picture of two people that have the exact same experience. And some see what has happened and others just snub their, turn their noses up. Which person that God has provided for and has provided passage to are you? How many of us find the first place to complain, the first opportunity to be disgruntled, the first chance that we're given to say to ourselves, I handled that myself. It's this dividing thing. It divides people like cilantro does. It divides people the way that movies do, the way that eggnog does. 
two people having the same experience. How's your miraculous experience with God showing itself now? It's interesting when you talk about the, the, the nation of Israel because what you find is that you could take the slave out of Egypt, but you could not take Egypt out of the slave. Russell Moore is one of my favorite. Um, he's a pastor. He works for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is a fantastic communicator. He speaks with a southern twang. He's great. And he and his wife are strong advocates of adoption and two of their boys are adopted from Russia and they will and you can read in uh, his various writings on his blog you can read in one of his books the story of how the, the process of adopting these two boys and they talk about going to the orphanage the first time and, and seeing the, how terrible of a situation that these children who were going to be theirs happened to be in they talk about the filth that surrounded their children. They talk about how their children could not see the light of day. They talk about how their babies had minimal food to eat. When Dr. Moore and his wife Maria were finally given the green light to go pick up the boys, this is the story that he tells When my wife Maria and I at long last received the call, the legal process was over, and we returned to Russia to pick up our, two son, our new sons, we found their transition from the orphanage to the family was more difficult than we had supposed. We dressed the boys in outfits that our parents had bought for them. We nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel, and we walked out into the sunlight to the terror of our boys they'd never seen the sun they'd never felt the wind they had never heard the sound of a car door slamming or had the sensation of being carried along at 100 miles an hour down a road I noticed that both boys were shaking reaching back for the orphanage in the distance. I whispered to Sergey, who's now Timothy, that place is a pit. If only you knew what was waiting for you. You have a home with a mommy and a daddy who love you. You have grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. But they, all they knew was the orphanage. It was squalid but they had no other reference point. It was their home. The nation of Israel leaves Egypt and complains at every turn and twist because they had missed who was handling their situation and they longed for the pit that was Egypt. And you see God dealing with them throughout the scriptures. These next six few verses, you see those very things. Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as, as they did. 
So hear this, Paul writing to New Testament Christians about the family of faith that we have who, who were followers of Yahweh. But his point for writing this is, now these things took place as examples for us that we may not desire the evil, desire evil as they did. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. These people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. The word play there doesn't quite take you to where Paul is taking us. He's referencing the book of Exodus where the where Moses has gone to get the tablets. And Aaron, they have had a conversation with Aaron, the people, and the people had said to Aaron, make us a God to go before us. What do you mean make you a God? You just God just delivered you. But make us something that was tangible, that we can take hold of. The Bible says in the uh, original language, they got up to endure, indulge in revelry. A perversion... Paul says, don't, don't get distracted by that. Don't, don't do what they did. We, we also see this. Verse 8, we, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Because 23,000 of them fell in a single day. The book of Numbers, a, a recounting of this story that Paul's referencing. Let's not put Jesus to the test because... As some of them did, they were destroyed by serpents. If you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament teaching, there, there's a story where God allows snakes to come into the nation of Israel and bite them. And God provides a way, because God always provides a way. Moses holds a staff with a golden snake on the top of it, or a, a copper snake, a metal snake. We'll just go with metal because I'm not remembering properly. And says, turn your attention to that and you'll be saved if you do. And there are still people who don't turn to what God has told them to turn to. Ten, nor, nor don't grumble as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the destroyer. That's a very appropriate name, evidently. The destroyer destroys. God, using Paul to tell the church at Corinth that idolatry is a problem. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Corinth is a cesspool of wickedness. And left to their own devices, these people are satisfied to swim in the swamp. You and I can't handle the swamp. Paul says in verse 11, These things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let everyone who thinks that he stands take heed. That, that's mortifying. 
Let everyone who thinks that he can stand take heed. If you think you can handle this, take heed. If not, you will fall. It's not looking at the scenarios around us as deadly and dangerous and returning to that which at one time held us captive. I worked at an elementary school, after school program when I lived in Fort Worth. And I don't really know why I worked there. Because that meant that I had to watch not my children, but other people's children for hours on end. And I worked with some sticklers who wanted to make sure they did their homework before they went outside. I was in charge of of, of the playtime, and then we would release them. And there was one little boy named Travis who loved the tire swing. And he would get on the tire swing. And I've seen this happen in my backyard as well, but I can't send these children to other people's homes. Where Travis would lay on the tire swing and the other kids would start spinning him. Because there's a swivel at the top. There's a word for that that the engineers in the room know. I don't know. It just swivels. And then at, while he's spinning like that, other kids would come along and start pushing it so that he's not only spinning, he's double spinning like this. Travis comes off of the tire swing and I look into his eyes and he is standing on Wednesday looking for the weekend in both directions. Just boom! I said, Travis, and before I could get anything else out, Travis was, shall we say, sick in front of me. I avoided him quickly. Though I may not communicate it, I can move when it comes with children and their illnesses. I start yelling for my wife. But I get out of his way, and then I say, Travis, go sit down. Sit against the wall with your little rat tail. And as he sits there, I watch his eyes. And Travis gets everything situated and straight because he has had more than he could handle. When I finally release him to play again because he done nothing wrong except letting those kids spin and twirl him, I watch as he beelines back to the tire swing that it just made him sick. So many of us live in this realm of I'll never do that again. I'll never say that again. I'll never think that again. I'll never talk about them again. I'll never sin in that way again. I'll never gossip again. Because as believers, God directs our hearts in that way. The scriptures do show us that if we are in relationship with God through Christ Jesus, that he will talk to us through his word. And he will affirm what his word teaches to the power of his spirit. But if we are far from that, we do see that there are moments for us where we disregard that God is saying, this is how you handle these things. You let me do it. 
and we run back to the things that had made us sick. The anger, the gossip, the rage, the slander, the mistreatment of others. Verse 12. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Our crumble to the ground is coming more quickly than we realize, especially if we think it's not. 13, where we get the thrust of this passage. But there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. Because why? God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. There is no temptation that his faithfulness, not your handling ability, but the faithfulness of God is inadequate to deal with. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure the hardships before you. So let's not miss this. We are paralleling two stories. Exodus and the church at Corinth. And Exodus and me and you. God provided passage for the Exodus. He provided provision for the Exodus. He provided passage for Corinth. Provision for Corinth. He provided passage for me and provision for me. Passage for you and provision for you. And that passage and provision is that we would stand firm on the rock that is Jesus because he's the one that pushes us up so we can. And this destroyer that we call Satan that manifests himself like Rob Schneider in those happy Gilmore movies telling us you can do it. is a liar. And we are called to remember that God is just as much present in the mundane as in what we perceive to be miraculous. Satan wants you to question God's goodness and doubt his ability. It usually doesn't take that much, does it? A bad grade on a test, trouble with a boss at work that you don't like because you're smarter than him or her. A kid acting like a kid. And other times, we stay faithful until things get really bad. We are financially in a bad situation or the cancer. It comes back or our spouse comes to us and tells us they want want to leave us and divorce. And God says, you cling to me. Your hope is that you can't handle any of this. It's that God has provided a substitute can or rock that is Jesus. And let's pray that God will show us how that works out in the lives of the people that we love. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you for these sweet people. I thank you that they've trusted you and them. We thank you that your word shows us that there's only one who handles things. That's you. 
so I pray for those moments where we want to go back to the tire swing and run back to the orphanage that we will see the promise that you set before us that you've given us a chance to walk with you and I pray that that walk will never lose sight of the power to take those steps comes from you because you're our sure and steady anchor you're our hope you're the cornerstone you're all of the things that you tell us you are So let us hold fast and firm to the one who holds us. We ask this in Jesus' name. If you need me, I'll be at the back corner of the room. Let's sing together.